0: tony robbins right jim was a mentor of tony robbins that's what tony robbins says don't wish for things to get easier wish for yourself to get better
1: i'm janet ahmed host of hacks and hobbies podcast and a digital presence advisor at humble zone this episode is brought to you by home studio mastery i launched a consultation and course program to help podcasters and course creators to create a space in their homes that will reduce the friction of creating content and appearing their best when showing up on camera. The pandemic gave us a lot of issues, but this one is here to stay. We're now so much closer to our audience thanks to video becoming more popular and affordable. I help guide folks who want to create Hollywood-worthy studios to not only capture great content, but also build more confidence, more authority, and be more comfortable in front of the camera. If I can do it, you can too. And with my help, you can do it faster. So if you'd like to learn more, visit HomestudioMastery.com and how you too can create a home studio that brings out your personality, professionalism, and possibilities. Thank you for tuning in to Hacks and Hobbies with your host, Junaid. We're visited by our amazing guests coming from all walks of life want to learn their story, their struggles and their journey on how they got to where they are today. So stick around. Today we get to speak with Gregory Offener. He's a multi talented individual with a passion for entertaining and educating others. His keynotes workshops and corporate consulting engagements help the world's leading organizations create high performing, highly fulfilled leaders. Prior to his work, Greg led global sales and marketing efforts for several Fortune 100 organizations, brokered complex risk management and insurance programs for large commercial organizations, and drove process improvement initiatives as a certified Lean Six Sigma practitioner. He was a world-renowned dueling pianist who just happened to also have a 15-year career leading sales and marketing. Then, strategy struck. Doctors handed him two options, either lose the ability to speak or undergo vocal surgery. After enduring 15 surgeries on his vocal cords for over five years, and nearly losing the ability to speak permanently, he makes sure the words that he uses matters. Today, as an award-winning keynote performer, Gregory helps organizations and the people within them shape cultures of highly fulfilled, high-performing people. I'm so excited to bring Gregory and his experience. I'm so excited to bring Gregory and his expertise to the podcast. So strap in as we jump into this journey with Gregory Offener. Gregory, so excited to have you here. How are you doing? you, Nate. I'm doing pretty great. How are you? I'm doing great, man. It's really awesome to reconnect with you. I'm really excited to learn about your journey thus far and where you got started and what's keeping you going. So let's jump right in, man. Let's do it. So tell me a version of your story that no one's heard of before or almost like an origin story. But since a lot of people haven't heard of you on my podcast let's give them a rundown of where you got started
0: yeah so it was cold uh there was a bright light i could tell that i was in a a medical building and then the doctor slapped me no i'm just kidding that's a bit too (laughs) far back i'm sure for an origin story (laughs) (laughs) Mm mm-hmm uh, I, I'm legally obliged to make terrible jokes as a new father. So I, I don't love know if you it. know that, but I, I designed something and everything before I left the hospital
1: with the baby. They said, I you be- have to tell really bad dad jokes. Oh now. my God. I love it because I'm a new dad times four as well. Every, every, every day sort of seems
0: new. Things are changing they are. rapidly, mm-hmm. but no, so origin story, I grew up in what I suppose is a fairly normal household a mom and a dad who stayed together and are still together i had two younger sisters played sports was into music did pretty good in school mm-hmm. and working my way through college that love of music and love of sport really endured and so by the time i got into college i was playing collegiate rugby i had a, a i initially had a major in music which i i transitioned down into a minor. And then I added a minor in philosophy um, and studied psychology as well. So I sort of cobbled together this very interesting degree of music, philosophy, and psychology. And as you might imagine that when I graduated, there's no real job path for somebody with a degree (laughs) in music, philosophy, and psychology. They're like, are you going to be like an organist at a church? Like, what are you going to (laughs) do? So I fell into a career in sales. Mm. I loved the freedom that it gave me. I loved the idea that I could command whatever results I brought in in terms of my pay, right? Paid for performance and sales. And I didn't know what I didn't know about business, so I thought this seems like a great place to start. I was in the business world for 15 years, give or take, and I described that experience as being the highest paid actor who you'll never see on a screen. Wow. Because what I realize now looking back is that the truth is I never gave a shit about business. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I can curse on here. I apologize. I never gave a darn about business. I didn't care about business. I was trying to pretend to be someone that I thought the world wanted me to be Mm -hmm. because in interviews and in school, you're let me back up. I'll start this answer over again. Um, So I was in the business world for about 15 years and I described that as being the highest paid actor you've never seen on screen. Because the truth was I was not a business person. Mm -hmm. That musical drive ran through me so powerfully, but I was scared when I got out of school that I wouldn't know how to apply it to make a living. And so I followed the crowd. Everybody else was interviewing and getting jobs and and, and I did too. And, Mm -hmm. And look, sales is not a bad gig. If you don't know what you want to do in life, sales is a skill that will serve you everywhere and anywhere you go, being able to persuade and convince. So I'm very lucky that I fell into the world that I fell into, but that doesn't change the fact that I never really cared about it. Mm -hmm. I wasn't that passionate about it. The money was great, but you habituate to money. We get used to money. Yeah. You know, if you have nothing and then all of a sudden you have a hundred dollars that day that you get the hundred dollars is the best day in the world. But the worst day in the world is the next day. Yeah. Because you wake up and nothing's changed. Yes. So I did that for 15 years. I worked in the corporate world. What many people may not know about me, that you won't see on my LinkedIn, is that for 12 of those 15 years, I was also a professional piano bar entertainer. I traveled the world. I've performed on five continents. I've played in solo piano bars, dueling piano bars. I've done theater shows. I've done concerts and bar gigs. I mean, I've, I've done virtually everything uh, that I wanted to do in the world of performance, but I did it recreationally. That mm-hmm. is to say, I was paid to do it, but it wasn't my full-time job. Yeah. I was scared. I was always carrying a bit of fear with me about making that leap. So now we're at 2015. I've been in the professional world for a while. I've had my piano bar gigs for a while, and I'm I'm feeling a bit raspy. My voice is having a hard time hitting the notes that it used to and, Mm -hmm. you know, of course, people told me it might be because I smoked cigarettes and drank lots of bourbon on the weekends, but I didn't, (laughs) that couldn't be it. I knew better than those pesky (laughs) doctors. What did they know? They don't know nothing. So July, 2015, I'm in the middle of a gig and it's getting harder and harder to hit the notes, but I finished the performance and think, I'm gonna take a break and then I'll go to my next performance. So I had another gig that evening. By the time I got to that evening gig and sat down to play my first song, I could not make a sound. I opened my mouth and just uh, oh came out, which scared me because I not only enjoy singing and, and it's how I fulfill myself and and pursue my passion, but I kind of get paid to sell and talk to people during the day. So if I can't, you know, forget that I can't sing. I mean, I that's critical to me, but. I got a mortgage to pay i got bills i I have a life i mean Mm -hmm. how am i supposed to make a living so i'm petrified and schedule an appointment with a doctor an ent an ear nose and throat doctor and the shortest version i can give of this story is he said you've got two months before you lose your voice completely your vocal cords will become permanently paralyzed and you'll never speak again he offered me an alternative but that alternative would have meant drastically and completely changing my life. It mm. would have meant that I wasn't able to continue on as a salesperson. And that I absolutely was not going to be able to continue on as a professional singer. Mm. And I did what many people try to do when they're faced with news. They don't want, I, I tried to bargain.
1: Yeah.
0: I said, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you re- you're recommending this surgery, but could we do this other idea? Maybe surgery light, you know, like a, a, only a half of what you're talking about doing. Mm-hmm. And he said, we could I don't know what the results are going to be and understand that this could lengthen the overall healing and recovery process I didn't listen to anything past we could yeah I said great let's do that (laughs) because of that decision because I tried to protect an income and a job I was never passionate about Mm -hmm. and because I thought I had already lost the ability to do the thing I was passionate about which is singing and entertaining I made a decision. Because of that decision, I went on to have 15 surgeries on my vocal cords over the next several years. For the better part of a decade, I've been in and out of operating rooms, having the world's best vocal surgeons work on my voice, rebuilding and restoring my vocal cord function. And I'm a far cry better than I was, Mm -hmm. but I will never be what I could have been because of that injury and because of that decision, both of which are self-inflicted injuries if I reflect on this honestly. Mm -hmm. And so that leads us to where I am today, which is a pivot most people will not see coming, and that is I use my voice professionally as a keynote speaker. I use my piano and my ideas on stage Mm -hmm. at conferences and in front of large corporate audiences to inspire, to inform, and to engage people in thought exercises and leave them with practical practices they can take back to their work that help them perform better, that elevate the experience of work for organizations and let each person within that organization find what fulfills them and marry it with their professional responsibilities.
1: Man. That is one hell of a story. So my, you've shared so much about, how would you self-inflicted pain or injury to your vocal cords? Because you're talking to people all day long and you going out and singing. And it almost, when you said, you know, you couldn't hit the notes, it almost reminded me of the the movie Rockstar with Mark Wahlberg. starts out as somebody in the audience and then he's up on stage and then at the end of the movie he's like having somebody come up from the audience. But it's was uh, really interesting. Like, how how hard did you drive your vocal? Like, how like how did that even occur? Was it because of the heavy drinking? Was it because of the singing, or was it because of the smoke? Like, what was the combination? So, like many
0: problems. So, like many problems, it wasn't one thing, but a mm-hmm. confluence of several things. I think if if all you know, if your listeners, if we reflect. On challenges in our life, yeah. they're often, it's, it's not just one big thing that plops out of the sky and lands on us. It's, it's a lot of little things that build up over time. Now, we don't notice them until we're looking back in hindsight. Of mm-hmm. course, everything's clearer in hindsight. Yes. So to answer your question more pointedly, yes, the drinking was a factor. The smoking was a factor. I didn't warm up before mm-hmm. performances. I was very cocky about the strength and longevity of my voice and I did not handle it with the care that a professional musician should. Nor, frankly, did I handle it with the care a professional voice user should. What I've learned in this journey is that many people who use their voice, what are called in the profession, super users, attorneys, teachers, parents, experience vocal cord problems, many go undiagnosed, Mm But they experience vocal cord problems because they're not giving their voice an adequate opportunity to rest. And our voice is in in many ways, a an athletic instrument, J- just like a runner's legs are their athletic tool. Yeah. If you run nonstop for years and years on end, something's you know you're gonna have a patellar tendon issue. You're gonna you know rip an Achilles tendon. Something's going to go wrong. Yeah. The, the 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 body part is not intended to be used that forcefully that long. Mm-hmm. Similarly, I'm speaking all day. You know, I have a couple, so let let's paint the picture of what a Friday would look like, because okay. that would be a regular piano bar day. Wake up in the morning, work out, and I playing collegiate rugby, I lift heavy. And mm-hmm. a lot of people at the gym, when they lift heavy, they yell, they make noises, they grunt. All of that puts pressure and force on your vocal cords. Mm-hmm. Then I go to work and I'm having conversations on the phone, yelling across offices all day go to lunch in a loud bar with colleagues and we're boisterously talking all day. Then I go back to work and more phone conversations, more office conversation. Then I'm going to happy hour and networking and having a couple of cocktails and maybe stepping outside for a cigarette. Then I'm going home, shoving a quick dinner in my face, heading to the bar, smoking cigarettes on the way, grab a drink at the bar so that I'm ready to perform, right? Air quotes, ready to perform no warm-up sing for four or five hours that's generally the duration of a piano bar gig and then i'd go home have a late night meal lay down and you know rinse lather repeat over and over and over again that's a recipe for vocal disaster on so many levels so the booze the cigarettes Two of those 15 surgeries were actually to rebuild a valve in my stomach. So they were, they were, I think it's called bariatric surgery, you know, where they go in with the robot and they quite literally rebuild the valve in your stomach that keeps acid and, and all the stomach juices in. One of the biggest problems that exacerbated my, my voice's decline was when I would go to sleep, my stomach acid would uh, sort of slosh around, right? As, as if you, let's imagine you take a whiskey bottle and you lie it on its side. Yeah. Well, now there's whiskey all over the bottle, right? Mm -hmm. So at the neck of the bottle, that's where your vocal cords are. So now there is acid, stomach acid, sitting on my vocal cords all night. The way the doctor described it, he said, imagine if you cut your finger on a piece of paper, so a paper cut, and then you put it in lemon juice overnight. And then the next morning you wake up, cut it again, put it in lemon juice overnight, cut it, lemon juice, cut it, lemon juice. He said, I don't know how long that process has been repeating on your vocal cords, but that'll damage anybody's. Yeah.
1: Wow. Thank you. Thank you for being so vulnerable and sharing the details of what's a recipe for disaster for any, for anybody, right? It's that we're not, we're not, um, our human parts are not designed for excessive use and there's gotta be moderation. So
0: Well, that's the big takeaway, you know, and part of the work that I do, Junaid, is that I I often help organizations with this knowing and doing gap. It's not a focal point, but it is an important point in the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And the biggest knowing doing gap that we have as humans is that we all know we're going to die, but many of us don't do anything about it.
1: Amen. Amen. Ooh. The most certain things in life death and taxes.
0: mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Wow. If you got good attorneys taxes really aren't even certain. I'm no, just teasing. <laughs> if anyone from the IRS is listening I'm very good about paying my taxes.
1: <laughs> yes, we are.
0: One of one of the new 87,000 they've just hired. <laughs> But I saw that number broken down. Not to go off on a tangent, I sure. saw that number broken down, and apparently there are like six hundred billion in uncollected taxes. So if you break that down, it works out to about like seven million in potential revenue that each agent could 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 capture or, or could recoup if they're if they're on the job. So it actually seems like a pretty good investment. But that's... what do I know? I'm not a politician. I'm just a dude who talks for a living. So wait, wait. that's like a politician, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> we need
1: to add a little. Uh in there. I
0: told the audience there were going to be bad jokes, be bad, bad dad jokes. jokes. I'm, you gotta, you I'm gotta. delivering
1: as promised. Gotta have some. Well, Gregory, thank you for sharing your origin story. What's keeping you motivated and where you're taking your career to by sharing your experience and helping corporations and individuals realize where to find the balance. Find the balance, stay balanced so that you can live longer, you could work longer, you can enjoy longer your life. By the way, I want to again congratulate you for your new addition. Thank you. It's definitely a change of priority. In our lives because it's some it's it's some it's another human being that we're not responsible for all right this has been fun man let's take a quick break when we get back Gregory's gonna share it with us Three hacks to take away that you can immediately apply in your life so hang on tight we'll be right back right, that's that the game. thing when you make yeah when you make that commitment yeah that's for the for, that's for the that's when it gets better when you get better. Mm-hmm. I'm janet Ahmed, host of hacks and hobbies podcast and a digital presence advisor at humble zone. This episode is brought to you by home studio mastery. I launched a consultation and course program to help podcasters and course creators to create a space in their homes. They'll reduce the friction of creating content and appearing their best when showing up on camera. The pandemic gave us a lot of issues, but this one is here to stay. We're now so much closer to our audience thanks to video becoming more popular and affordable. I help guide folks who want to create Hollywood-worthy studios to not only capture great content, but also build more confidence, more authority, and be more comfortable in front of the camera. If I can do it, you can too. And with my help, you can do it faster so if you'd like to learn more visit homestudio and how you too can create a home studio that brings out your personality professionalism and possibilities all right welcome back guys <laughs> there's something uh, jim rohn said people asked him when is he gonna get better for me and he's like well It gets better for you when you get better at it. Yeah,
0: that's Tony. Tony Robbins, right? Mm -hmm. Jim Jim was a mentor of Tony Robbins. Said to Tony Robbins, says, "Don't wish for things to get easier. Wish for yourself to get better."
1: Mm. I love
0: Tony Robbins. Or what does he know? He says, "If it can't be easier, it's a mantra, right?" He says, "If it can't be easier, let me be better."
1: Can't be easier. Let me be better.
0: And I said to Kim, I was like, I think I'm gonna get that tattooed on my chest. So I see it in the mirror every day. She's like, are you going to be that guy? Like we go to the beach, like the thing on his chest, we're like, who's that guy?
1: Yeah, maybe not. All right, let's roll it in. Welcome back guys. We've been talking with Gregory Ofner Jr. Gregory's got an amazing story. He's taught so much amazing. He's brought so much amazing wisdom. To the episode, I'm I'm just still in my mind, just, just um, blown away by the tenacity, the the stamina, and the perseverance that Gregory has shown over the years. I mean, 15 surgeries that's that's not that's not something to bat an eye bet your eyes on.
0: Apparently, one more, one more, uh, and I get a free one. Ooh, I have a card that they stamp every time. <laughs> Buttum bum That's the third joke, listeners, if you're keeping track at home.
1: (laughs) I love it. So, Gregory, take us away. um, Share with us three hacks to take away that the audience can apply in their lives.
0: Yeah. So, first and foremost, we already talked about one of them. And it's remember that someday you'll do something for the last time. There is a day where I performed my last piano bar set. I didn't know it, yeah. but I can look back and see it. There's a day when we hugged a loved one for the last time. Mm -hmm. There's a day when our child asked us to pick them up and hold them close for the last time. And if they're growing fast like mine is, there's a time when you can't do it anymore because it's throwing your back out. But (laughs) (laughs) someday you'll do something for the last time. Mm. If you walk into each day with that attitude, with that perspective, every day gets a little brighter. Every smell gets a little more vibrant. Every color gets a little more vibrant. Every sense gets a little more vibrant. Coupling onto that thought is a practice of gratitude because we live in an age of abundance. There's an abundance of information. There's an abundance of everything out there. Literally everything. I mean, go to the store. There are like 900 different types of peanut butter that you can choose from. And while that's nice, It makes it difficult for us to be innately grateful I found that the people who have the least are generally the most grateful Mm
1: -hmm.
0: very surprising shift and I noticed it when I was vacationing in South Africa one of the things I really wanted to do when I was there was take a tour of one of the townships because I wanted to understand I mean in Philadelphia where I'm based we have poverty but south african townships are some of the most impoverished in the world and i wanted to understand what that community felt like yeah. i wanted to understand it intimately not just from books and i was very interested in being able to talk with some of the residents there and thankfully we connected with a program that was less touristy and more i don't want to say immersion because that's not it but it was it was kind of a one like one-on-one encounters getting to meet the people there and understand what the rhythm of their lifestyle is yeah. like and and, you know, most of these people have jobs. I mean, I'm not going to say they're well-paying jobs, but for them to be able to be close to medical care and the resources they need, they have to live in these townships. It's not that they that they choose to or that they're lazy. Uh, I mean, I'm sure there are components of, of life that get easier because they're living there, like that access to, to medical care, but they have to. Yeah. And and these folks are working very hard to survive. And, and the one guy's story stands out to me, which is, he was an HVAC technician. Mm-hmm. And, and I said to him, you know, you've got a big smile on your face and your son, beautiful old boy, standing next to him, big smile on his face. Y'all are having fun. And, and yet this is, you know, where you live. This is not the Taj Mahal. And, and, and I, I say that with the full understanding that if you could live somewhere nicer, I'm sure you would. Yeah. Why is this where you live? And, and he explained to me, about the needing to be proximate to the schools that he wanted his son to go to and to the medical care. And and I said, well, I'm just curious, what about moving altogether? Like in the United States, an HVAC technician makes a lot of money. Mm-hmm. That's a very good living here. Oh yeah. And he said, it's not about money for me. My son's happy. I'm happy. Look around. It's a beautiful day. And I thought, my God, that perspective is is unbelievable mm-hmm. because I have friends Who're worth a lot of money, and for them to have that perspective, they need to be flying on a spaceship, to to go on a big cruise on another. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's bananas.
1: Yeah,
0: how backwards this idea of gratitude is—that the people who have the least are often the most grateful. And so, what I'd encourage everyone to do, in addition to remembering that one day we'll do something for the last time, is to be grateful for what we do in each day and actually create. A practice a real practice not just say oh yeah I'm gonna remember to be grateful every night before you go to bed take a pen and paper or do it in in your on your phone or wherever you feel comfortable storing this information but write down get out of your head and onto something physical three things that you're grateful for and you know I, I do this every night so let's see last night I'm grateful for the support of friends and I named a specific situation that happened yesterday that I was, I was grateful for. Um, I named, I'm uh, grateful for some changes that are happening in our family. And I went on to elaborate that and I'm grateful for some time I got to spend with my daughter last night. I went on to elaborate about that. These are things when I'm having a bad day or I'm feeling like nothing's going my way and I'm having a pity party, which happens to everybody. Oh yeah. I can reflect back on this. I'm creating a habit of gratitude. The third step, the third takeaway for your listeners is to get very clear on their goals. What I've learned and, and goals is an overused word. Yeah. Get very clear on their desires.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What it is you really want out of life. In, in my research and in my work, I've found that people often have two reasons for everything they do for every desire that they say they have. They've got a good reason but they've also got the real reason. Mm. A good reason is what we share with friends and they all cheer us on and say, oh, that's great, wow, I hope you get that. I hope you get that promotion. I hope you get that new house. I hope, I hope, I hope. But the real goals are often different. And I see this play out time and time again. I mean, I'll use myself as an example. Mm -hmm. I wanted a promotion to be a manager. I wanted it. I thought I wanted it. But what it turned out I really wanted was something completely different. It mm. was something I could have achieved without the additional responsibility and the work and the sacrifice that it took to get that promotion. Yeah. I'm not going to get into all that now cause it's not valuable to your listeners. What will be valuable to your listeners is the process that I used to discover my real desire. It's a process I call root goal analysis, and it's very simple, Mm -hmm. doesn't mean it's easy, but it's very simple. Write down your goal. If it's, I want to be a millionaire, write that down. After that, I want you to write the words, so that I can, and then blank. There's a blank space there that you need to fill in. You want to be a millionaire so that you can blank. Now, whatever you fill in the blank with, put that on the next line and mm-hmm. pick one thing. Don't 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 list, you know, like, so I can have a Rolex and a yacht and a house <laughs> and a wife and a this and a that and a mistress. And mm-hmm. you no, know, that's not what I'm talking about, friends. Right. I'm saying, simplify. why do you want to be a millionaire? It's so that I can blank. And then underneath that, whatever you filled in the blank with, you write that on the next line. So let's say I want to be a millionaire so that I can have a house in France. Okay, so I want a house in France would go on the next line. And then the words, so that I can blank. So, I want a house in France so that I can keep some of my clothes and belongings overseas so that when I travel, it's not as difficult. So, on the next line, I want to keep, well, actually, on the next line would be, I want traveling internationally to be less difficult so that I can blank. And we're not gonna keep this going. This could keep going for a little while yeah. until we get to what philosophers, what we'll call an autotelic goal or the root goal. Mm. Auto means self, telos means goal. So that's autotelic goal. So the, the goal is, it in and of itself, an, a uh, a root goal. And ultimately what these things come down to are freedom, recognition, connection. These are, root. These are very indivisible goals that will drive us through any obstacle because the goal of, I want to be a millionaire. It sounds good. Yeah, sure. It's a good goal. Yeah. But it comes with sacrifice. Yeah, It comes with challenges, with obstacles that we may decide along the way. Uh, it doesn't really matter that much to me. So I'm just going to put that goal off to the side and set a new one. Yeah. And so we get in this habit of creating goals that we never really care to accomplish and wind up not accomplishing. And then we reinforce this idea that, well, I can't achieve goals. I, I don't even set goals because I don't, I don't really achieve them. No, yeah. you don't set the right goals, so you don't care to achieve them and you give yourself a free pass because deep down you knew you didn't care. That's and it. and I'm not just lecturing like I'm some intellectual expert. This was me. I lived this stuff. That's mm-hmm. why I decided to become the expert on it. Yeah. I help myself and help others. And when you remember that someday you'll do something for the last time, and you have a practice of gratitude, that process of setting goals and getting at the root goal will become easier. You'll identify things you're truly passionate about. Then your day will be filled pursuing something you are passionate about, living as if it might be the last day you get to pursue that, Mm -hmm. and being grateful for the little things that happened along the way. That, friends, is a life well lived. Amen. That's what I hope for you, listener, if you've made it this far in the podcast past my awful dad jokes. I wish you a life well lived.
1: I love that. Man, that is definitely noteworthy. And gratitude, amen, man. If you're not grateful for the life we have, yeah, there's there's some deep thinking, deep work you got to do for sure. All right, man. That was amazing. Thank you. Let's jump right into the six questions. I like six
0: questions. I'm
1: excited. excited. Do you have like
0: theme music for this? I I don't,
1: man, I've been, I've been thinking about doing some kind of music. I just have an intro music and an outro music, but nothing in the middle. That'd be. I feel like that's the need. Yeah. (laughs) All right what is the one hobby that you wish you got into playing basketball basketball do you want me to elaborate on that yes well, of I'm
0: awful at basketball I've, I've noticed in my life that if I if I realize I'm bad at a sport I just abandon it and I give up on it <laughs> and basketball is such an easy sport to pick up it's a casual you know just sort of throw around I am atrocious mm. at basketball and i wish that i'd worked a little bit harder on it when i was younger and, and so i'd maybe enjoy it more
1: i like that i like that elaboration uh, next up what did you want to be when you were a child so
0: i had three three things that i alternated between wanting to be when i was a child the two main ones were either like a police officer or a detective mm-hmm. and i wanted to be a pro hockey player I, I knew very young that I wanted to be a pro hockey player. At least I thought I wanted to be a pro hockey player. Then I got a little older. I want to say maybe sixth grade, fifth, mm-hmm. sixth grade when I when I really got my first drum set. And I wanted to be a rock star. I wanted to move out to LA and be the drummer in a rock band like a Nirvana or a Soundgarden. Yeah. I
1: love it, man. All right, next up. What is your favorite TV show?
0: What is my favorite TV show? Favorite
1: movie or TV show?
0: Oh, movie or TV show? Well, my favorite movie is sort of a cult classic. It's *The Labyrinth* uh, okay. with David Bowie. Mm. Yeah, and I feel like favorite TV shows is it's it's a tough one these days, right? Because it yeah. everything's so consumer driven and, and oh here God. today, gone tomorrow. But I I think that growing up watching Hogan's heroes, Mm. a very old, old show that was like on when my dad was, I think a teenager, but it was the, you know, the daytime reruns, I think when I was, you know, eight or six, seven, eight years old, I I just thought it was so funny. Sergeant Schultz had this thick German accent and there's, you know, a French guy with his accent and trouble going on. And I didn't obviously understand all the implications and undertones of the show. To me, it was just a show about, you know, guys uh, playing army. But I think in terms of comedy, I, I forget the, the name of the actor who played um, uh, Colonel Hogan, um, but it was just such a well-put-together comedic mm. show about a very serious topic at the time. Um, wow. Yeah.
1: Let's see. Bob Crane, Werner Plunker, Bob Crane,
0: that's the one. And Bob boy, Crane. there's a documentary about him that gets dark.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah. That's so cool. I have not heard of that show before because I wasn't born in that era.
0: Yeah, that's like, you know, I'm I'm 40, but I've got, you know, like TV taste, like a, you know, like Betty
1: White would have. (laughs) I love it. Our next question is a fun one. What movie would you choose if you got to play a character in it?
0: What movie would I choose? So what movie that exists now would I want to be in if I got to play a character in it? Yeah. Well... I the one that just immediately popped into my mind is Glengarry Glen Ross. Mm. Uh, Glengarry Glen Ross and Boiler Room are two of my favorite sales movies. There are others that are great. They're not the only two great ones, but they are two of my favorite. and I think it just would have been a ton of fun, uh, especially Glengarry Glen Ross just to be surrounded by so many tremendous actors. Uh, yeah. and to be a part of that would have just would, would have just been awesome.
1: Wow. This is a roster Al Pacino Jack Lemon Alec Baldwin Kevin Spacey Ed Harris Ellen Arkane Jonathan price Wow this is it starts like a, I mean that's
0: like a who's who of acting yeah. back then when
1: that came out amen Wow love it I'm gonna to have to check it out this 1992
0: movie I'm oh yeah well worth
1: it awesome and then two more questions remain who is okay? Who is your favorite superhero? Batman. Batman. I don't. I don't know
0: why. Mm. Um, I was never really a comic book kid growing up, and I think it might be because the first two Batman movies—I think it was the first two—were mm. uh, just so different from anything I'd ever seen on screen. Uh, the way they were portrayed and and you know the, obviously the Batman characters changed a lot yeah. over the years. I think Batman is just such a cool superhero because he's just a regular dude with no yeah. real superpowers. I mean, except like, you know, being a billionaire. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I guess that's a superpower. Uh, so, it's so, you know, it's sort of like an inspirational story how one air quotes regular person, mm-hmm. you know, can can make a difference. I think that's what I like about it. That in yeah. every other superhero character, it's someone with this trait that is otherworldly or yeah. supernatural. But Batman is just a regular dude who said, you know what, I got the financial resources. I'm gonna make this happen. Yeah. And and I think it's someone that probably why Batman resonates with others around the world is because it's 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 kind of like the the person or people we need right now. I think the world needs a couple of you know, not necessarily putting on a costume and beating people up, but someone really taking the bull by the horns and saying, you know, I have a, um, a benevolent, what's the word? Altruistic utilitarianism. I think is, is is the phrase
1: being, I have, I have have that type of view of the future. Mm. No, I, I I like that. A lot of the guests that I've asked that question have come back with Batman. So I'm going to have to, You know, make a group and be like, hey, all you Batman lovers.
0: Yeah. That also tells me you have great guests on. Do you know? What do you know? How how about that?
1: (laughs) And then last question. If you were a board game, what would it be?
0: If I were a board game, what would I be? So before I answer that, I have to say I am probably woefully under-advised or unfamiliar with board games. I have um, So my, my one sister and her boyfriend mm-hmm. are avid board game players, and uh, I'm going to botch the name of it, Sett- Settlers of something. Settlers of Catan. Catan. Uh-huh. Yeah. I've been asking them to show me how to play it for mm-hmm. a long time. We've just got to set a game night and do it. We've played other ones, but I, I, want, I want to know more about that. So, if I were a board game, what would I be? I like the game of life. Mm. I've always liked that when I was a kid, and I guess that would be me. I'm not even
1: sure how to answer that question. No, that's that's uh, an accurate representation of um, what that answer would look like. Yeah, game of life. I mean, you... close second might be Scrabble. Scrabble, I do okay. love words. Yeah. Okay, I like it. I like it. And where? can my superpreneur, where can these superpreneurs listening to this episode find you, Gregory?
0: Yeah. So you're gonna take I-95 and, no, I'm just kidding. So you wanna go to gregoryoffner.com. That's my website. There's a lot of great information about what I do for organizations. If you wanna just sort of know more about me, I'm on all the major socials, Gregory Offner Jr. You know, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, I'm starting to do more stuff on TikTok. I Mm -hmm. really don't mess around with Facebook anymore, but I'd love it if they reached out and let me know if something in this conversation resonated. Yeah. If there's something that they're going through that they said, Oh man, that's going to be helpful for me because we're really having this conversation for you, listener. I I really appreciate you giving us your time. Your time is valuable and you've chosen to spend it with us. So I appreciate that. I respect that. And I, I love to hear, when the nuggets you walk away with are valuable to you. So please get in touch.
1: Yeah, I love that. Thank you so much, man. appreciate the time that you spend with us as well and sharing your wisdom in your life. It's been a pleasure, Junaid. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely. Talk to you soon. All right, bye-bye. Congratulations. You made it to the end of the episode. Thanks so much for listening to our guest on this episode please send me an email at junaid at to tell me what you loved about our guest today. You could find links mentioned in this episode on the hacksandhobbies.com website.